Find in your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 3. All right, we jump back into our study of Nehemiah. Take a look at chapter 3. If you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, if you're not familiar with chapter 3, this is one of those texts where you hope and pray we don't go verse by verse. All right? I'll just read, and I think you'll get the idea. Then Elishab, the high priest, arose with his brothers and the priest and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of 100 and the Tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to him, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, and it goes on like that through the whole chapter. It's not one of those texts you would probably choose if you got to lead Bible study or got to preach a sermon. Probably Nehemiah 3 wouldn't be on the top of your lists. But it's one of the good things about expositional preaching through books of the Bible. You're not allowed to skip texts like this. You have to do the best that you can. And so I, by God's grace, am going to do the best that I can. We saw in chapter 1, Nehemiah, hear what's going on far, far away back in his home of Jerusalem. That the walls are broken down and the people are distressed and discouraged. And through that news, God put a burden upon his soul to get back to Jerusalem and do what he could for the sake of his people and for the glory of his God. But we saw he began with prayer. Day and night for four months, praying that God would give him success and allow him to return and lead the people in this great work. And then we saw in chapter 2 that after four months of prayer, God answered his prayers and gave him success after success after success, open door after open door, permission, provision, protection, All that he had been praying for and even more. But we saw that in chapter 2, it was not to the praise of Nehemiah, but Nehemiah reminded us it was the good hand of my God that was upon me. We noted that Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven. That's the one who answered the prayers and gave the permission, provision, protection, and more. It was the good hand of his God that was upon him, Nehemiah said, that allowed for the permission, the protection, the provision, and the like. It was even the rumor, if you will, that God was on the move that encouraged the people to say, yes, let us arise and build. So what we're going to find in chapter 3 is the people getting to work on the broken down walls. The best I can do are three big ideas. The first one is this, that God inspires his people to work together. If you were to read through chapter three, you might think it's a little bit boring, but it is an incredible chapter about a great 
thing that God did. Inspiring his people to get to work on the wall. If we were to read through it, we will see that there are many different families that are going to get to work. People from different towns that are going to join together in the work. Artisans of different crafts are going to say, we're in. Merchants of all different sorts are going to be a part of the rebuild. City officials, religious leaders of all callings. We even see a father and his daughters working together. All of these different folks coming together, working side by side in a common task. We'll come back to this, but one author reflecting on chapter 3 said, it's been said it's an extraordinary feat of organization. All different kinds of people coming together in a oneness, in a unity, working together for the good of their people and the glory of God. And at least I ask, well, where did that come from? How do you get chapter 3? I think we have to remember from the end of chapter 2, it was the hand of God that inspired this enthusiasm for this work. You'll remember in chapter 2, Nehemiah came from Susa in Persia, all the way back home, if you will, to Jerusalem. And he inspected the city and the broken down walls. And then in verse 17, he came to the people and said, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them, how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. I don't know, maybe, maybe Nehemiah poured out his heart in vision for the, the rebuilding of the walls. You see the bad situation we're in. Jerusalem is desolate. Its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we'll no longer be a reproach. And I don't, maybe I'm reading too much in it, but maybe they sat there and listened, but they're wanting to hear more. Is God in it? I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me. And about the king's words which he had spoken to me. That's King Artaxerxes. And he told him, guys, you, you, I can't believe it. Artaxerxes gave me permission to do it. He gave me, uh, I asked him, I told him how long I was going to be gone. And then I said, hey, could you also give me this? And he gave it to me. And I didn't even ask for protection, but he gave me that too. And it seems that when they heard the rumor The idea that that the hand of God was upon this work, they said, let us arise and build. So when we get to point two, we're going to look a little bit at at what Nehemiah may have done here in chapter three. But again, I want us to realize this book is not so much look at Nehemiah as it is look at God. How do you get this kind of unity This kind of oneness, the 
people of God from all different whatevers coming together to work together for the glory of God and the good of his people. You get it because of God. I think we could ponder a bit about the body of Christ. Think about how our God, through his son, Jesus Christ, brought all of us together. There's not a ton of diversity in the room, but we could think about racial diversity in the room. And in our church family, especially with the Spanish congregation, think about the cultural diversity among us, the political diversity among us, the socioeconomic diversity, the educational diversity. the different passions in the room, the different giftedness within the room. We all come from different backgrounds, different experiences, different this and different that. But all of us who know God through his son Jesus Christ ended up at the same place, didn't we? The foot of the cross. And through the work of God through his son and his life, death, resurrection. And through the Holy Spirit calling us to believe in his son and trust in him. We all now become family. We're now brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're part of the body of Christ. And as such, we are one. And he not only connects us together, but he puts within the spirit of his people a love for the gospel and a love for one another and a love for the church such that we, like they, lock arms together and, as Paul would say, strive together for the faith of the gospel. So when we look at chapter 3, from the sheep gate, should have given you a picture. Think of a, think of a rectangle standing up top. It's not exactly a rectangle, this wall. But they start at the sheep gate, and in chapter 3, he describes it, heading to the west, down south, and back around all the way up to the sheep gate. When we look at chapter 3, from the sheep gate in verse 1, all the way around to the sheep gate in verse 32. Different folks of different strokes coming together. We say praise God that he inspires such a thing among his people. As they strove together for the rebuilding of the wall, May it be true of us that here at Redeemer Community Church, inspired by the great love of our God and his amazing grace towards us, we would strive together for the faith of the gospel. But secondly, I think, God raises up various gifted leaders to lead his people. I think it is true that this was inspired by God, but it was, in fact, led by Nehemiah. And again, I don't want to make it all about Nehemiah, but we, we must notice the leadership, the organization, the administration, the management job that he did. 
You might say that my first point was a little suspect because we don't see the name of God mentioned at all in chapter 3. That's why we went back to chapter 2 at the end of 2 and saw it was, it was, it was the, the word that God was in it that inspired this. But neither do we see the name of Nehemiah in chapter 3. But I think it's obvious with the leading role that he plays in chapters 1 and 2 and in 4 and following, he's the leader. Matthew Henry commenting on this said, Though Nehemiah undertook not any particular piece of the wall, yet he did more than any of them, for he had the oversight of them all. He walked the rounds, directed and encouraged the builders, set his hand to the work where he saw occasion, and kept a watchful eye upon the motions of the enemy, as we shall see in the next chapter. So as one said, this was an extraordinary feat of organization. Pulling all of these people together, putting them in place, giving them jobs, meeting challenges, holding them accountable, encouraging through the rough times. It was Nehemiah who was leading this effort. And I think we see this throughout the scriptures as God leads or inspires his people to do great things. There is often a leader that he calls up, Moses or Joshua or David or Ezra or Nehemiah or Zerubbabel or Peter or Paul or the like. And I'd like to ponder on this for just a moment. This was interesting to me as I learned, as I studied this week. Let's just think about Ezra and Nehemiah for a moment. Remember, Ezra is the book right, right before Nehemiah, but they were originally one. If you were to look in your Hebrew Bible, these two books are actually one book. And later on, when the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the New Testament was put, or Old Testament was put together, I believe it's then that they were broken up into Ezra and Nehemiah. The early part of Ezra, chapters one through six, is about a guy named Zerubbabel and his efforts to lead people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And he too was a wonderful man and a wonderful leader of God's people. But then you get to chapter 7 of the book of Ezra and it focuses in on Ezra. And Ezra was a man of the word. It says that he set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes throughout all of Israel. And Ezra came back with about 2,000 people, and he set to, if you will, rebuild the people. And then Nehemiah comes back in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2 and following. And Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the walls. If we were to take Zerubbabel in those early chapters and kind of set him aside, not set him aside, but set him aside, And then think about Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. They're friends, maybe. They work together. But again, Ezra was a man of the word. A scribe who studied and obeyed and taught the word of God among Israel. He led in confession and prayer and the spiritual matters 
of the remnant. Nehemiah, as spiritual as he was, and he was, was a man of the work. He inspected the broken walls, dreamed of what could be and should be and must be, cast the vision, gathered the people, put them in place and encouraged the troops and built a city. I listened in a short video of D.A. Carson, who's world-renowned Bible scholar, particularly in New Testament, but not just New Testament. I'm going to read you what he said, but then it made me wonder. I wonder if Ezra could have done what Nehemiah did. And I wonder if Nehemiah could have done what Ezra did. And I'm not so sure. Here's what Carson said. It's important to understand that Nehemiah was a gifted administrator. Later on in this book, when Nehemiah helps to organize a Bible conference and people are called together, he knows that he's not the person to do the teaching. He brings in Ezra, who's still in the city. And Ezra does the Bible teaching. Ezra trains the Levites, the priests, and they do the Bible teaching. But beyond all of this is the gifted work of Nehemiah, the administrator, the ruler. And that reminds us, too, that in the New Testament, when we find pastors, teachers, these pastors, teachers, are not only teachers in the church, they are overseers. The old English word is bishops. There's an administrative responsibility, and people have different gifts in the church today. There's need not only for faithful, serious Bible teaching, we might say Ezra's, but for people also to do some planning, to think through what is required, and to help provide the services and structure that under the Word of God, under the teaching of the Word of God, serve the people of God in reformation and revival. So God raised up a leader like Ezra to teach the people with his gifts of teaching, and God raised up Nehemiah with his gifts of leadership and administration. And God may raise you up with your unique gifting. And he may call you to lead in a particular way in our church or maybe in our city. Maybe it's for a short-term project. Maybe it's for a long-term ministry. But I would say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, if and when he does, let him who leads lead with diligence. Ezra was a great example. Nehemiah, a great example. So, chapter 3. How do we get chapter 3? It's inspired by God. It's led by Nehemiah. But then third, God does great things through his gifted people. It's a list of names and families. It's people. People at the sheep gate, people at the fish gate, people at the old gate, people at the valley gate, people at the refuse gate, at the fountain gate, at the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, the inspection gate, all the way back to the sheep gate. From verse 1 to verse 32, it's the people playing their part 
in the rebuilding of the wall. Nehemiah uses his administrative and leadership gifts, Ezra his teaching gifts, but there are lots of others around this wall building it up. God works not just through the leaders, but through all of his people. Not only is the family of God made up of people from all different walks of life, But when God saves us and he brings us together in the family of God and brings us together into the body of Christ for all the oneness and the unity that he brings there's also a diversity that he brings because what does he do? He forgives our sins. He unites us to the body of Christ. He adopts us into his family He puts his spirit within us and with his spirit gifts us. He gives us spiritual gifts with which we are to serve in the body of Christ, in the church, and in the mission of Christ. And he doesn't give us the same gifts. Just to read a few passages in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. I think what that might mean is there are varieties of gifts you probably don't have the same spiritual gift as the person sitting next to you, behind you, or in front of you. There are varieties of ministries that God puts different passions in the hearts of his people. And so there might be two of us in the room who have a gift of teaching, but there's a variety of ministries. You might have a passion to take your gift of teaching and give me those first and second graders because I love to take the truth of God and teach it to the little ones. Tara and I are having some fun on Wednesday nights with the fourth and fifth graders. I used to never think, man, that's just not me. Give me the adults. And I still think that, but it's been quite some fun with the fourth and fifth graders as well. I have to think it through a little bit more and, you know, put the cookies on the bottom shelf a little bit more maybe. But a variety of ministries, there's different passions that God's people have. Some are passionate about kids, some about adults. Some are passionate about worship, others passionate about the idea of making people feel at home when they walk through those doors. Maybe you have a gift of mercy or a gift of encouragement. And you're passionate that you want people when they come in to feel at home. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one of us has been gifted by God. Different ministries, possibly. But it's all for the common good of the body of Christ. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith. To another, the gift of healing by the Spirit. To another, 
the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirit. And one of these days, maybe we'll talk about all these and try and understand what they mean. In 1 Corinthians 12, it's some of the more difficult of the spiritual gifts. But we might look at 1 Peter 4. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Some think that Peter might be here dividing up all of the spiritual gifts into speaking gifts and serving gifts. And he says, whichever one that God has given you, employ it. Or in Romans 12. Paul writing to the Romans said it like this. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, right? So we have many members in in our body, and all the members don't have the same function, In another passage, Paul will talk about we have eyes and we have ears and we have nose and we have hands and we have feet. We're all part of the same body, but we are different members. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so, yes, chapter 3 is inspired by God, and yes, it's led by Nehemiah, but it is the people of God playing their part in the rebuilding of this city. God does great things through his gifted people. Through Nehemiah, yes. But through Eliashib and the men of Jericho and the sons of Hassanah and Merimoth, the son of Uriah, Joida, the son of Peshu. Yes. Yes. I think this was Daryl Bach, Dallas Seminary prof. Soldiers are equipped to serve their nation, not themselves. And so we, we give to our soldiers gear and weapons. We equip them. Why? To serve their nation, not themselves. Medical personnel are provided medicines and instruments to serve the hospital's patients, not for their own benefit. Employers are given supplies to fulfill their assigned roles in the company, and Christians receive spiritual gifts to fulfill their assigned roles in the body of Christ. 
Gifting implies service. There should be no spectators in the church. Sanctuaries should not have observation decks. God expects every Christian to use their gift to serve his church. For this is the very reason he gave gifts to them. We've been praying this month. And you might remember that back on January 13th, I ask you all to pray. Lord, grant great success to Redeemer 101, 102, and 103 this year. May this be our greatest year of assimilating people into the life of Redeemer and being equipped to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. What's 101, 102, 103? It's probably new to you because we put these ideas together a couple of years ago and then COVID hit and did its thing. But by the grace of God, this year, we want to begin offering 101, 102, and 103. 101, we just had one of these last week or this week. Learn about Redeemer, become a member, and get plugged into a community group. It's the, it's the place to come. It's the class to go to to learn about Redeemer's history and Redeemer's doctrine and Redeemer's leadership and this sort of thing and, and, and learn about the church and hopefully become a member and then get plugged into a community group. If you haven't been through 101, I hope you'll go through the next one that we have. But then we want to offer 102. In 102, what we want to do is tell you and teach you about all of our teams, right? Kids ministry team, student ministry team, adult ministry team, worship ministry team, that kind of thing. Complete what's called a shape assessment. Shape. S-H-A-P-E. S for spiritual gifts. Some of you have done this. Some of you know your spiritual gifts already, but maybe some of you go, God gave me a gift. What is it? And a spiritual gifts inventory is not always 100% right, but it can get you on the right track. So what's your spiritual gift? H, what's your heart for ministry? Again, some of you have a heart for kids. Some of you have a heart for junior high students or high school students. Some of you have a heart for widows. Some of you have a heart for the homeless in our city. Maybe some of you have a heart for... Families who have adopted or are thinking about that. What's your heart for ministry? What are you passionate about? A, abilities. What else do you bring to the table that really aren't spiritual gifts but, but could be a blessing to the, to the body of Christ? P, what's your personality? How has God kind of wired you and put you together? Because we're all kind of different. And then E, what are some experiences that you've had that maybe God wants to use in ministry to others. And oftentimes those are some of the most painful experiences that we've had. That God wants to, if you will, redeem those and use those in ministry to others. And so in 102, we want to do that. And then hopefully, just as 101 hopes to get you into a community group, 102 would hope to get you onto one of our teams. Using your gifts and your heart to help Redeemer. And then 103. 
This is about learning more about what it means to live on mission with Jesus. In my circle, our circle, in the world. My circle is where I live, where I work, where I play. People far from God. How do I pray for them? And how do I serve them? And how do I love them? And how do I share the gospel with them? Our circle is the geography that surrounds this place. Men, women, and children that live, work, and play all around here. What might God have for us? You remember last week we talked about that apparently in Paul's mind that once a church got planted, it's that church's responsibility to own the lostness around it and take the gospel to it. And then the world. How do I, as a follower of Jesus in Katy, Texas, play a part in the gospel ministry all around the world? 101, 102, 103. You know our broad strategy here at Redeemer is worship gatherings, community groups, service teams, and then mission circles. And 101, 102, 103, it's our hope will we'll kind of help along the way. So if you've been here for some of you, how many years now? 24 years. If you were here in 1998 when Redeemer was planted, some of you not that long, but maybe you've been here for 18 years or 17 years or something like that. You've, you've been at Redeemer for a long time. You know more about Redeemer than I do. And uh, you could probably come teach 101. And you're already plugged into a community group, and that's awesome. But maybe you're not. Maybe you haven't gotten onto a team. Maybe you're not serving. 102 might be a great place to come and to learn about your spiritual gifts and how God might want to use you. Certainly here at Redeemer Community Church, but maybe you begin to think, you know what? I think God's calling me to a ministry maybe even beyond Redeemer in our city. And that could be wonderful as well. So God inspires this kind of thing. Anytime a big old group of people lock arms together, it's God. And it's led by leaders. God raises up his people to lead his people. But at the end of the day, it's a whole bunch of different people who are rebuilding the walls and making these repairs. I'm going to close on a bummer. You ready? There's one phrase in all of chapter 3 that's a bummer. Just one. It's in verse 5. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. It's the only bummer phrase in the whole thing. One little group of folks, these nobles. In fact, if you'll turn over and look at, uh, where's it at, where's it at, where's it at? Oh, no. Where did they go? Oh, there they are. In verse 27? We'll start in 26. 
The temple servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. So in verse 5, you see that the Tekoites made repairs. The people made repairs. And down here in verse 27, we find out that they pulled double duty. They repaired another section. But you had some of their nobles who did not support the work of their masters. One guy simply said this, their uncooperative attitude strikes a sour note. I read verse 5 and I go, Mitch, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Be anybody else in the chapter. But don't be a noble from Tekoa. Who has an uncooperative attitude and puts a sour note on the whole thing. Let's pray. Father in heaven. What a thing chapter 3 is. On the one hand, maybe a bit boring and laborious to read but on another, magnificent. Just magnificent. All the diversity among these folks, and yet coming together to repair the walls and rebuild the city for your glory, for their good. They did it because of you. And what a wonder is the body of Christ. Diversity galore brought together in love. Family. The one body of Christ that fervently loves one another from the heart. That stands shoulder to shoulder locking arm in arm striving together for the faith of the gospel. What a deal. And Father, thank you for the gifts that you give to your people. One of them being, from Romans 12, leadership. Thank you for those folks that you raise up among your people to get us going sometimes when we need to get going. And then, Lord, thank you for the way you've gifted all of us And given all of us a great purpose. That we don't just belong to the body of Christ, but we are essential members of it. Some of us eyes, some of us mouths, some of us ears, noses, toes, thumbs. But we're all a significant part and we all play our part. Might you do above and beyond what we could ever ask and imagine. Lord, help me, our staff, our elders do a good job, a better job of making our needs known. And getting our folks plugged in, the right places, their gifts and their passions and the like. Help us do better at that. 
And Lord, maybe um, raise up more and more and more of us uh, to serve and to use our gifts to strengthen this body of Christ for greater ministry yet to come. Use us, Lord, please, to glorify your name here in our city, to build up your people here at Redeemer. And to reach people who are far from God. We need your help. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Boy, what we sing about today. You've been so, so good to me. Oh, to think of where I would be if not for you. Lord, I think about that often, and I am so grateful for your saving grace. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.